Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning service to you each and every week. We're currently in our sermon series, Next. The best is yet to come. For the past 20 years of Rolling Hills, we have seen God do more than we could ever imagine. Countless lives have been impacted for eternity. Many have professed their faith through baptism. Adults and children have grown in their faith through discipleship. Campuses have been launched in communities all throughout Middle Tennessee. And the vulnerable and the least have been served throughout the world. God has shown up time and time again, and now we faithfully look ahead to what is next for His church, knowing that it's not about us and our future, but about God and His perfect plan. Our prayer is that this will be a season that we look back on and see as one where God grew and stretched His people in ways He never has before. We're believing we will see restored relationships, miracles happen right before our eyes, radical salvations, and prodigals returning home. We believe for all of this and more. In this series, we're walking through the book of Nehemiah and how God's call on His people in that day is one He still has for us in 2023. May He find us faithful as we step forward, trusting that the best truly is yet to come. So listen in as we jump into what the Lord has for us today. Well, I want you to imagine with me for a second that you're at one of your favorite sporting events. Maybe it's a Saturday at Neyland Stadium. Maybe it's a Tuesday night at Rupp Arena for Kentucky Wildcats basketball. Maybe it's Geodis Park for the Nashville Soccer Club. And you are pumped up. Okay, are you there? Can you picture it with me? And you're excited to be there and you're ready to cheer on your team. But imagine, if you will, in front of you there is a quote-unquote fan that is not as excited about this event as you are. Okay? And uh, you are decked out in team colors from head to toe, and this guy's wearing like a polo with colors that don't match any of the home team. And you're yelling at the top of your lungs because of a great play, and he didn't seem to notice. His face even made it on the jumbotron, and he could not muster up a smile. And you think to yourself, why is this guy here? Was he drug here against his own will? Does he even care about these teams? Does he even like either of these teams? In those moments, how would you respond? Would you get mad? Would you go find an usher and say, we need to get this guy out of here? Probably not. I'm assuming it wouldn't affect your experience that much. You would just keep cheering. You might be annoyed by it, but it's not going to make you pack up and go home. Or imagine this, you're at a concert of your favorite band, and the band takes the stage and the lights and the thumping of the bass, and you hear the intro riff of a song that you just love, and you are transported. And you jump to your feet, and you start singing along, and you get through that song, and you can't wait for more. But out of nowhere, and consequently this happened to me one time, no joke, out of nowhere, out of the opening song, someone taps you on the shoulder behind you and says, I'm sorry, but could you sit down the rest of the concert? I'm sorry, but you're at a concert. Have you ever been to one before? Uh, this literally happened to me one time, and I thought to myself, you have to be joking, right? Whoa, you have to be joking. No. If you could sit down, that would be great. And I continued to give them a primer about how concerts work. They weren't amused. I look around, I'm thinking, there's 20,000 people here, and two of them are sitting, and they're right behind me. 
and I just proceed to go about the rest of the show. They weren't amused, and they sat the entire time. The reality is, in those moments, whether it's a sporting event or a concert, most of us are not going to lose focus because someone else is not as excited about the experience as we are. We keep our head in the game. None of us are going to leave the concert, and most of us are not going to sit down. We're just going to stay in the moment. But do you know from a spiritual perspective, if we're not careful, we can do exactly the opposite. We can get really fired up about church. The institution, by the way, that God set in motion to change the world. The church is the institution that God put into place so that the world would be changed for his plans and his purposes. But sometimes, you know, we can see someone that maybe does something we don't agree with, Or maybe someone that's not as spiritual as we are, and we like to think, you know what, I need to pull back a little bit. And I understand the frustration behind that. Or maybe you get excited about serving, or you get excited about joining a group, and you show up at the group, and the group was just a little different than you expected. (laughs) And you think, instead of staying, let me just bail, because it's not what I thought it would be. Or more significantly than either of those, maybe you and I look around the world, and we see how broken the world is, and we see how vile the world is, and we see how challenging this world is, and we see how the enemy has so much power, it seems, and we wonder, is what we're doing ever going to make a difference? Is my life ever going to make a difference, or should I just throw in the towel and quit? The reality is, your life makes a difference. And this ministry at Rolling Hills Community Church and the ministries of our fantastic churches here in Nolansville and beyond make a difference. And believe it or not, the Bible actually shows us, and we're headed there this morning in Nehemiah chapter 6, the Bible shows us that if you and I are looking for a reason to not do something that God is calling us to do, we're always going to find it. The Bible also shows us that it's easy for us to get distracted about things that are happening around us. But just like you're not going to leave an event because somebody is not as big a super fan as you are, means that when it comes to the things of God, just because somebody may not be as passionate as you or as passionate as you want to be, doesn't mean that that prevents us from experiencing what it is that the Lord wants to do and that God might be calling you to do. So this book of Nehemiah, that we're camping out in in this series called Next. It is so rich. And if you're new with us today, a special welcome to you. I'm so honored that you are here with us this morning. And I pray that you'll go back and maybe at some point today and pick up in Nehemiah chapter 1 and start reading this incredible story. This is one of my favorite books of the Bible. But by way of review, in case this is a new book to you, what's happening in the book of Nehemiah, or I should say right before Nehemiah, is that Israel was taken captive by Babylon. And Babylon had exiled the Israelites from Jerusalem They had destroyed their temple. They had brought them to Babylon. And over the course of several decades, the Israelites are freed from captivity, and they begin making their way back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And while they're in Jerusalem, they don't just rebuild physical structures, but they rebuild their lives. And then Nehemiah rises to leadership. He answers the call that God places on his life, and he goes back to rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem. And as we talked about last week, Nehemiah was a leader of integrity. He had multiple opportunities in his leadership journey to kind of go the way of the world, but he continued to stay the course. He was not like the leaders who had come before him. In fact, he didn't see himself entitled to even the things that were at his disposal. He said rather, I don't want to put further oppression upon people, but yet I want to live differently. And I can't help but think that for you and I today, what the world desperately needs is for us to live differently. When Nehemiah lived differently, it made a difference. 
when Nehemiah didn't fall prey to just everything that was happening around him. Because trust me, if you want a Bible character that had some naysayers around him, it was Nehemiah. But yet he stayed the course. And what I believe the world needs from us right now as followers of Jesus Christ is for us to live differently. For us to not just look like the world around us. In fact, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you should not look like the rest of the world. Now, physically, you don't become a follower of Jesus Christ and just grow a head of hair for you bald guys out there. That just doesn't happen. But internally, and with our attitudes, and with our actions, and with our hearts, we should live differently. If your family has been radically changed by Jesus Christ, do you know that your priorities should then be radically different from the world around you. If you've been walking with Christ for a decade plus, then your trust in the faithfulness of God that we sang about this morning, it should be at a higher level than it was the year before. And it especially should be at a higher level than when we are new believers. But what happens in life? These oppositions come, don't they? These challenges come. And these reasons that you and I want to quit always come our way. But if you turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 6, you're going to see this played out. And you're going to see one of the ways that Nehemiah continues to remain faithful and continues to encourage us in our walk with God as we seek to be faithful to him. So you can go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. You're going to see some of these words on the screen. You can hop on your mobile device. But before we jump into the text, let's pray together. And why don't you just join me in just saying, God, what is it that you want to show me today? And help me to see that and help me to be faithful and obedient to you. So will you join me in prayer? Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we get to be together. And I pray that in our time together today, God, you would encourage us, challenge us, help us to be more and more like you, and help us to not quit, but to persist and to be faithful and to be humble with what it is that you're placing in front of us today. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. In Nehemiah chapter 6, picking up in verse 1, so when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message, come let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Anno. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? So Nehemiah has rebuilt the wall. It's almost finished. He said there's just a few gates that need to be put into the wall, and they have rebuilt this wall. And there are these guys, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, along with all the others who represent all of the enemies. These are the guys who are against the work that Nehemiah are doing. And because they are against Nehemiah, you could also say they are against God. These are the mean kids in school. And they have criticized Nehemiah. They have tried to harm him. They have mocked insults at him. They have hurled insults at the Jewish people who are working and who are seeking to complete this task. And so they send a message to Nehemiah. And In that message, they ask Nehemiah, can you come and meet with us at the plain of Anno, which is about 25 miles away, meaning this is at least a day's journey for Nehemiah to get there. But Nehemiah, because he was listening to God, Nehemiah knew that they did not have good intentions with that meeting. They were trying to draw him off that wall. They were trying to draw him off of that work so that they could harm him, to which Nehemiah replies, nah, I'm good. I don't need to take the meeting. I'm carrying on this great project here, and I cannot stop. 
I mean, what a spiritual inspiration. I'm carrying on good work, and I can't stop doing that. And they don't leave good enough alone. And so they just keep persisting. Out of persistence, out of desperation, these enemies come to Nehemiah again and again and again and again. Four times they say, come and meet with us. And Nehemiah replies, not interested in your meeting because the work is so strong. And if you go down with me to verse 5. So then the fifth time, they keep going, Sanballat it sent his aid to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. And I sent him this reply, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. And they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. So this fifth time, Sanballat sends a different aid, but the same message. But this time, he sends the letter in an unsealed envelope. Because they're saying, this didn't scare him the first four times that we sent him this letter, but maybe it will now. And maybe you can look at that unsealed letter and just kind of gloss over that. But that's a significant detail, because it would have been treasonous for an aid to share a sealed letter. Because a sealed letter would have the insignia, you know, kind of one of those Robin Hood things that you, you know, hot wax you put on the letter that makes sure that no one else reads it. And so it would have been treason for an aide to share that letter with anybody else. But now Sanballat picks a different aide, and he just kind of folds up a piece of paper and says, take this to Nehemiah. Now, because we are carnal, like this aide who remains nameless is, what do you think this aide probably did with that letter on his way on that day's journey? He did with it probably what I would have done with it. Stopped at every Starbucks along the way and showed it to people look at this letter that Sanballat is sending to Nehemiah. What was in the letter? The letter was filled with rumors. It was filled with gossip. It was filled with half-truths. Go back and read verses 5 through 9. In the letter, it says, Nehemiah, we know that you're trying to start a revolt. You're trying to start a revolt. In fact, you want to be king. And you're going to try to come in with power. And if you've never been introduced to the story of Nehemiah, let me catch you up. That's not what Nehemiah was doing. He was not trying to start a revolt. He was trying to rescue Jerusalem. He was trying to help them understand their need for God. He wasn't trying to come in and be the God. He was trying to rescue them. And this act of intimidation was intended to show Nehemiah, we have got you but it didn't scare him. It, he wasn't scared personally, and he didn't seem to be scared when there was kind of this corporate movement to try to create these rumors about him in Jerusalem that he's trying to revolt. And I love Nehemiah's reply in verse 8. Chapter 6, verse 8, I send him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. Put in Jason's translation, Nehemiah says, you're crazy, man. <laughs> this was a scare tactic 
They're trying to frighten us. They are trying to make us weak. They are trying to get us to quit. But Nehemiah says, my, 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 they do not understand the God we serve. And they do not understand whose strength we operate under. And maybe you and I, when we bring this into the 21st century, maybe we look at this and we think to ourselves, you know what, we live in an evil world, don't we? We live in a vile, broken, sinful world where people are anxious, where people are stressed out, where people are over-medicated, where people are over-intoxicated, where people are over-stimulated. The world that we live in today, and we look at people who are far from God, and sometimes we wish that we could just look in their eyes and say, I wish you knew my God. Because when you know Jesus the way that I know him, you don't need all of those things. When you know Jesus the way that I know him, you can have peace in the midst of a storm. And when we understand that, and when we understand where our peace comes from, and when we understand our role, we realize that it's now our responsibility as the church to go to a broken world and proclaim to them, you can have it too. It's there with a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can have that joy. You can have that peace. And all of these enemies, they threatened Nehemiah. They berated him. They lied about him. And Nehemiah says, I cannot come down. Why should I stop this work? And as I was thinking about this, and as I was preparing for today and kind of praying for this incredible season and this initiative in the life of our church next, God reminded me that dedication to his work should be my highest aim. That my greatest goal in life should be to live a life that's all about following him. Not about the pursuit of my desires, of course not about the pursuit of what pop culture says, and to not succumb to this fear that's so easily falling prey to us in our lives. And as I examine my own life, and as I think about each of us and the role that we play, it dawned on me that, you know, we all have a wall that we're working on, don't we? Some of us on right walls and some of us on the wrong ones. But we all have a wall that we're working on. We all have work that we deem important. You see this here in your notes. We all have work we can't stop or won't stop doing. All of us. We all have work that we can't stop or that we won't stop doing. Nehemiah said, I can't stop this work because it's what God called me to do. Yet on the flip side, we can just as easily say to God, I can't stop what I'm doing even if it's not God-honoring. Sometimes we tell God, I know that you want me to move away from that, but I can't stop doing it because it's my agenda. And so Nehemiah wouldn't come down off the wall because the work was too important. Perhaps some of us are working on walls or building things in our life that are not what God would want us to build upon. And just like Nehemiah, whether our motivation is good or our motivation is not good, sometimes we will just simply say, you know what, I can't stop that or I won't stop that, or I will not allow my life to line up with what it is that I know the Lord has in store for me, because it might mean that my agenda would have to take a back seat to God's agenda in my life. And maybe I look around this world that's so challenging and broken, and, and I think to myself, the enemy is working, and I, and I don't know how I can seek to make a difference in the darkness. I don't know how my life could matter. I don't know how my life could help someone else in their walk with Christ or help them in the journey that they're going through, but may we realize this morning that there is an enemy out there, but that enemy's not in control. That enemy has power, but that enemy doesn't have authority, and the enemy is always working, and the enemy was working here in Nehemiah's day. But what does the enemy like to do? You see this here on your notes. The enemy consistently and persistently tries to frustrate you and distract you from the work of God, doesn't he? That's what the enemy does. 
The enemy will consistently and persistently try to frustrate you and distract you from the work of God. Back in verse 4, four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same letter. There was one more letter, one more letter, a little bit more pressure. Let's spread some rumors, and we can get Nehemiah to quit. And just like Nehemiah had an enemy, you and I have an enemy today as well. But sometimes we forget that we actually only have one enemy, one and only enemy. If there's somebody in the room that might be a little bit different than you, they're not your enemy. (laughs) If there's uh, another church in town, other churches in town aren't our enemies. They're our team, okay? (laughs) Same team here. We're all on the same mission. We want everybody, uh, all of our churches, to succeed. Uh, Your spouse is not your enemy, Republicans are not your enemy. Democrats are not your enemy. The enemy is Satan, and he is working, and he has power. And it's our responsibility to understand his tactics, because what does the enemy like to do? The enemy likes to lie to you. And the enemy likes to make you think that you don't need God. The enemy likes to make you think that the Bible isn't that important. The enemy likes to make you think that you don't know enough about the Bible to share your faith. The enemy likes to make you think that you have such a sordid past that God can't use you. The enemy likes to make you think you can't be a good steward of what God has given you and be involved in an initiative like Next in the life of our church. The enemy is always telling us these lies, just like the enemy was an enemies working for Satan. We're telling Nehemiah's lies. But through Next, for example, just one of many examples, Our goal is to lay the foundation for the next 20 years of ministry, and we're asking you to do something that the enemy doesn't want you to do. Trust me, what the enemy would rather you do is take care of your own resources, opposed to letting God take care of your resources. The enemy would say, you know what, you don't need to be involved. You don't need to say yes to those acts of service, because it doesn't make a difference. But my prayer is that 100% of our people, every child, every teenager, and every adult would say, you know what, I want to take a next step in my journey, because it's not about equal gifts, but it's about equal sacrifice. And our hope is that through these projects that we're seeking to, to see happen, that God will continue to grow our ministry so that more and more people will come to know Him. That's what next is all about. It's about our individual step, but it's about what happens when lots of people take those individual steps and corporately, collectively, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we see something happen. And here at Nolensville, we're excited about what we're seeking to see happen. We're wanting to connect our two buildings together to, to, to really kind of take us to the next level here on our campus footprint, to, to make our connection center the main point of entry for the church, the buildings to be connected in a really neat way with the exterior and interiors renovated and, and kind of matching where we are here. And during the course of the week, that space will be used for student ministry gatherings and women's studies and men's studies, and our staff offices will move there. And I'm excited about just an additional kind of footprint of space that will help us as we seek to take the message of the gospel to people who need it so desperately. And across all of our campuses, we have some really cool things that we believe that the Lord has placed on our vision and given us a vision for. But it takes all of us saying, you know what, I don't want to just follow what the enemy says. I don't want to follow what the world says, but I want to follow what the Lord says because this work matters. And so as Michael talked about at the beginning of the service, on November 12th is a day that it's going to be a day of worship for us to just say, you know, what is that commitment? What is that step of faith that the Lord is asking me to take? And I pray 
that the promises that were revealed here to Nehemiah will strengthen us just like they did him. Because what happened in Nehemiah's life is that God supplied all that Nehemiah needed. And my prayer is that we would realize just how much the Lord wants to supply all that we would need and that this would be an encouragement to us. Head back with me to verse 9. Nehemiah says, They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, Now strengthen my hands. As you see here on your notes, God always strengthens your hands when you ask him to, doesn't he? Haven't you experienced that? God will always strengthen your hands when you ask him to. The enemy wants your hands to be weak, but God says, I've made your hands strong. The enemy says, life is really about you, whereas God says, no, life is about bringing honor and glory to me and loving other people. I stand before you today um, as your pastor to tell you that God has always strengthened my hands every time I asked him to. My life is far from perfect, and there's many days when I've thought to myself, I don't know if I can keep going. I don't know if I can keep moving forward with ministry. I don't know because the demands and the challenges and the work of the enemy. In fact, sometimes I stand up here in front of you and I think to myself, if these people really knew how messed up I was, they would go to another church. I mean, if they knew how, you know, how, how broken I was, they would probably go somewhere else. My life has been far from perfect. There have been numerous times when I have thought the pressures of all of this are just too much and maybe I should just go sell cars or something else. And in those moments, though, and on the heels of those feelings, God always shows up to strengthen my hands. And I pray that you've seen that in your own life. Sometimes when I feel that way, right on the heels of that, someone will reach out who is in a really dark space. And they will say, I need Jesus. And I realize it now for the first time in my life. And God will rescue them from addictions. They will meet Jesus through the ministry of Rolling Hills. And we will baptize them. And some of those people are now leading, greeting you when you walk in to these doors today. And I think to myself, praise God. Sometimes when I look at the chaos around us that swirls around us in the world, and I'll ask myself, does any of this make a difference? Does any of this ever matter? And on the heels of that, sometimes there'll be a prayer request that gets dropped in the offering basket like this one. I pray to be thankful for the life I was given rather than wanting to end it. And I don't know if you guys know this, but we get this request a lot. This request is written on cards and dropped in or emailed in. And this one came in several years ago, and I keep it in my Bible And I think about this so frequently. I don't know who wrote this card, but I praise God that there was someone here who had the courage to say, I don't want to end my life, but I want to live a life of purpose. And I think about those moments when it would be so easy for us to kind of just take a back seat and say, you know what, I don't want to personally be involved. But when we take that step of faith, what happens is God shows up and God works. For our family, we have seen God's faithfulness in ways that it would take an entire sermon to unpack. And I don't have time to do that this morning. But when we have been faithful, God has always taken care of us. As a single guy, and when my wife was single, and now as a married couple, we've been a part of every capital campaign 
an initiative that we've had here at Rolling Hills Community Church. And our family has grown during that time. Our life has gotten a lot busier. The demands have gotten a lot more nuanced. And there have been so many sweet spots. And there's been hard seasons just like your life. But I can tell you with the greatest confidence that we have never regretted generosity. We have never been worse off because of generosity. We have only been stronger. Incredible things have happened. In fact, I believe it's so important for us as parents to live out generosity in front of our kids. I don't think that there is a better thing that we can help our kids understand than to realize life's not about them, but life's about helping other people. And my prayer is that we would catch a vision for the people who are not here yet, who will come to know Christ. Marriages that will be saved as a result of the ministry of Rolling Hills. Things that are on no one's radar right now that will happen because God is working. He always strengthens us. And if you head back to the text, the hits just keep coming for Nehemiah. The enemy just keeps persisting in verse 10. One day when I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mahadabel, who was shut in at his home, he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple. Let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. And by night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. And he had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. And when all of our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. The list of people who are trying to intimidate and scare Nehemiah just keeps growing and growing and growing. But Nehemiah is like that little energizer bunny. He just keeps going and going and going. He says, you try to stop me, I'm going to build faster. You try to kill me, I'm going to work harder. You spread rumors about me, and I'm going to pray more. And in the midst of all of those obstacles, the complaints, the naysayers, the workers not getting paid, the power struggles, you name it, look at what happened in verse 15. The wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. Now, some of you all are Bible historians, and you know this. Did you know that that wall had been broken down for about 70 years? (laughs) And when Nehemiah and a group of people who are obedient answer God's call, it was rebuilt in 52 days. 70 years it's set broken, and in 52 days. See, what does that mean? I believe that that means, as you see here on your notes, that a vision from God in the hands of faithful and humble servants leads to something that can never be described by human understanding. Amen? A vision from God in the hands of faithful and humble servants leads to something that can never be described by human hands. My sweet little grandmother used to always say, Jason, little is much when God is in it. And I believe that to be so true today, that little is much when God is in it. When a vision from God meets the hands of faithful people and humble people, which I hope we all aspire to be, it truly leads to something that transcends what we think is humanly possible. And there are so many stories 
that I have been made aware of over my years of ministry here in Rolling Hills Community Church. So many people who have just chosen to live faithfully and humbly, and the Lord has used them in a powerful way. Two of those people that come to mind are Carrie and Sarah Pierce. They've been a part of our campus here for a number of years, and I want you to take just a couple minutes and look at their story. Listen about how God has used them, and my prayer is that you would be encouraged as a result of their obedience as well. Take a look. My name is uh, Sarah Pierce. Um, I am married to this handsome fellow, Carrie Pierce, and we have been going to Rolling Hills for 11 years. We have been married for 17 years, and we have a son, Evan, who is 12 years old. Right about the time they started South Nashville, the church went through a, a series called Next Steps. And it, it wasn't just raising money, it was where is your next step at Rolling Hills? Is it serving more? Is it being a part of a new campus? Is it giving more, doing this and that? And at that time, I was like, well, we've kind of just been giving on a token basis. We were, we were young parents. We, we were as poor as you can possibly get. I just decided, okay, we've got to do something. And we tripled how much we were giving, which wasn't a lot, but it was enough to scare you. Uh, when you support the Lord's initiatives, it makes a difference. It just doesn't always make a difference the way you think it is. One of the, the biggest blessings is that um, Evan uh, prayed to accept Christ and Carrie was able to, to baptize him. I think making that commitment played a part in ultimately him reaching a point where he was ready to profess his faith in Christ. And then that gave me the opportunity to baptize him which is, you know, something I still point as one of the highest points in my life. But we knew that we were giving to something bigger than, than just building a building. We were creating a foundation where our child and other people's children could grow up in Christ. We're all given different gifts. Some people's gift is to prophesy. Some people's gift is to serve. Some people's gift is to give. People who don't have the capacity to physically serve, but they have the capacity to serve by providing resources. And not only does that come directly from the word, but it's something that we've had many times in our life where we just weren't able to do all the things we would want to do. God's provided for us and we can give, and that can be one of the ways that we can serve. And it's just really cool when the Bible says it, and then when somebody else says it, and then something else points it out to you, it probably means God's telling you something pretty important. I love when Carrie said, um, we gave it a season of life and it wasn't a lot, but it sure did scare us. And I love that. And I'm going to quote that pretty frequently because maybe it's time that some of us kind of take a step into the deeper water and say, you know what? I need to move into some areas that might have seemed scary before. But I know that with God, they're possible. Do you know that there's so much in the Bible that we read, and we look at it, and we're like, that's really scary to think about. But yet, God wants to do it. You know, I believe that God still performs miracles, don't you? That scares some of us. Some of us don't like to think about that. But I don't see anywhere in the Bible that God said he's going to stop performing miracles, that he's going to stop bringing healing into your life. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where God said you had to be perfect in the eyes of the world to be used by him. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where God says you have to have a lot in order to do a lot. 
I don't see anywhere in the Bible where God says, I used to calm storms, but I don't calm storms anymore. I don't see any of that in the Word of God. But do you know what I see in my own life from time to time? In my own life from time to time, I see a lack of faith that God can actually perform miracles. I see in my own life from time to time my own insecurities preventing me from trusting God's plan. I see in my own life that comparison trap where you compare yourself to everybody else and you wonder why you're not as talented as them. I see in my own life sometimes a self-sufficiency to try and weather my own storms instead of saying, God, I know you have got this. And what I see at times is a human who likes to operate out of his own power. But may these words of Oswald Chambers encourage you. We give credit to human wisdom when we should give credit to the divine guidance of God being exhibited through childlike people who were foolish enough to trust God's wisdom and his supernatural equipment. May I be just foolish enough to trust that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. And may you be just foolish enough to trust that God's actually going to do what he says he's going to do. And when you look at what Nehemiah said, what happened to the enemies in verse 16, when all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Did you know that in the presence of God, the self-confidence of the wicked will fall? In the presence of God, the enemy falls. Why does it fall? Because the wicked realizes that this work has been done by God. The wall was not rebuilt in Jerusalem because of how awesome Nehemiah was. The wall was rebuilt in Jerusalem because for 52 days, Nehemiah was obedient to God. And so I want you to stop for a second and think about how God might want to use your life. Think about what could happen in your home if radical hospitality and radical generosity poured out, what could happen in your walk with Christ if you started spending 15 minutes more with him every morning than you're spending right now? Who could come to faith in Christ if I had more courage to step into spiritual conversations? I've seen God work. You have as well. And my prayer is that we'll continue to see him to do that. And the question is, to what extent do I want to be a part of it? To what extent do I trust? How much do I want to grow? How much will I let the frustration of others be my story, opposed to how much I'm going to believe that God has got this, and that God is holding the world together, and that God is holding my life together, no matter how challenging everything may be. And so I pray that we'll be faithful and humble. I'm praying for you, and I would ask you to pray for me, because I believe this is our time. This is our time to say, God, be glorified in our lives. Be glorified in our lives today. God, we want to make much of you. And we want to make your name known. And I want my life to be a living testimony to his power. And my prayer is that you would want your life to be a living testimony to his power. And may all of us respond today with faithfulness and humility because of what the Lord is doing. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app. Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.